0: Hi, and welcome to our Support and Leaders in Education podcast. My name is Claire Boyle. I am the events manager for Witherslack Group, and I'll be hosting today's session, which will focus on leadership in education and vision for the future. As you may already know, this is our Talking It Through podcast, which turns topic of the month into expert discussion. And this month's podcast accompanies a wonderful webinar, which was presented by Anya Hildre, Head Teacher at Abbotsley Special School in Liverpool, and Dr. Tony Lloyd from the ADHD Foundation, who I'm delighted is one of our guests today. So on the podcast this month, we have Sophie Garner, Regional Director for Winterside Group, and as previously mentioned, Dr. Tony Lloyd, CEO of the ADHD Foundation. So thank you both ever so much for joining me today.
1: Good morning, Claire. Um, Good morning, Sophie. Good
0: morning. Hi there. Um, And I know I've given a little bit of an introduction, but before we carry on with our questions, would you guys like to say a little bit about yourselves and tell us about your work? Hi, Um, yeah, I'm
2: Sophie Garner. I'm regional director for schools for Witherslack Group. Uh, I originally joined Witherslack Group back in 2005 and was head teacher of their first two schools in in the south of England. Um, I left for a few years. Um, to work for other uh, specialist providers and then came back uh, during lockdown last year in my role as regional director where I've got responsibility for a number of our schools in the south of England.
1: Hi Sophie, Uh, Tony Lloyd, I'm the chief executive of the ADHD Foundation Neurodiversity Charity and... um uh, our head office is in Liverpool, but we work right across the UK, uh, mostly training other professionals in in the health service um, and in education. But in the northwest, we offer a unique lifespan service here for families with a whole range of neuro diverse conditions not just adhd um because they really travel alone and of course we work quite well uh with with a slack group providing regional events for parents right across the uk uh, which is something we enjoy immensely and i'm really looking forward to seeing that come back next year once oh. the world opens up again
0: <laughs> yeah, <me too. laughs> right so well that's great thank you um so should we get started um So the pandemic has had a massive impact on the way that children are learning. There is the negative side of um, children being out of school for long periods of time, but there are also some opportunities to be seized. So what do you guys think are the key things identified during this time that school leaders should highlight and continue to progress in terms of learning and pupil success?
2: Shall I start, Tony? Yeah. 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 so there was a post that jumped out at me on one of the social media platforms the other day from a parent of a year six pupil um, who was talking about that the school had written to them um, prior to the pupils coming back on the 8th of March and talking about the pupils needing to catch up. And there's mm-hmm. been lots of talk and discussion around catch up, yeah. hasn't there? But what she then went on to say that the, the head teacher had said that the, that, that, that first week back, and the pupils would be coming in in non-uniform and basically all lessons were cancelled and it would be non-uniform games, outdoor learning, making fires, etc. And this parent just was really, settling back in. Yeah. And the parent was really excited by this. Yeah. And 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 I think for me, that was a re- really positive because I think previously, I think parents are very focused on the academic progress, rightly so, of their of their children, etc, etc. But I think everybody's really um focusing on on the fact that these children need to be able to get back socializing um dealing with their mental health etc etc after yeah. the last year and i think that was for me it just yeah was a really positive post that i'd seen
1: yeah I, there's, a, there's a lot of interesting discussions going on at the minute isn't there about what we're calling the recovery curriculum mm. and um i know there was a, 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 a quite an inspirational uh interview wasn't there in this series of films with barry carpenter i think that that webinar went viral um, because we have to understand don't we what the needs of children are in the context of this very extraordinary situation and catch-up means different things um and in the uh, in the interview with anya hildre that this podcast is accompanying we were kind of having this conversation about what do we mean by catch-up and and Does that mean that we catch on to the fact that actually the learning needs of children at the moment are going to be different? Yeah. Yeah. And, and is this also an opportunity then for leaders in education to be reflecting on this opportunity in terms of not just what is education for? Because I think fundamentally we all know that. But in the context of the 2020s and in the context of this generation of children yeah. and this particular group of children who've had so much disruption to their education um, who have experienced a great deal of loss, they've not seen their friends for the best part of a year and when you're a child a week is an eternity, never mind massive, a year yeah. um, they've missed grandparents, they've missed visiting aunts and uncles uh, they've missed the holidays even if Parents have been working at home. There's been that conflict because parents can't spend as much time with them as the children need, and children need attention. So I hope this catch-up is about listening to what young children need and understanding that education in the broadest sense of the word is not just about the attainment of um, standardised exams and is it, it is about preparing young people to make a successful transition into adulthood, to be responsible citizens, to be employable, to be able to achieve their potential in so many ways, to have good mental health and be resilient young people who are going to contribute to our communities and our society and our economy. And I think this is an opportunity for us to ask our question, does our current educational paradigm meet that need and if it doesn't then we need some very brave thinking at Ofsted yeah. and in the department for education to think okay in this context in the 2020s and with this rapidly changing world are we actually really preparing children for for employment for life for adulthood for family life for parenting for active citizenship no. I don't One know of the that way are that
2: the- Sorry Tony one of the things that jumped out from um Anya's um uh, webinar was the her use of the word courageous in leadership yes. and and leaders being courageous too to so alter exactly. the that exactly yeah. and do what they feel is right focusing on on the children first and what their needs are rather than worrying about exams and, and SATs and and the traditional curriculum model and and it was I think that that when I saw this post on the social media that I linked the two together really and there was a clearly a, a courageous leader there who had made the, the decision to to ditch the timetable on that first week back I don't know how long that was going to continue for yeah. and 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 do what was right for the, for the children and to get back into school after this long period out.
0: Great, Arno. Thank you ever so much. Um, there. We'll, we'll go on to our next question now. Um, <clears throat> so a child-centred approach to learning is being used in specialist schools across the country. What can leaders in mainstream settings learn and what strategies can they take away from provisions already used in this approach to help them successfully develop more child-centred methods in their own setting?
2: Um,
0: specialist providers
2: have got... Uh, a wealth of of tools in their toolkits That's a phrase that we often use and, and for me i think that that's something that i would recommend if i were talking to a mainstream colleague is about having a broader range of of interventions and strategies that the whole staff team are able to use um, in different situations with with young people um, and also um about really getting i think one of the the strengths of uh, um our, our specialist smaller schools is that we really know each young person really really well
0: yeah.
2: um and i was re- recently interviewing uh, for a new member of staff who was talking about um she introduced a whole child on a page document um in her school and i that really uh, it's not new but the way she'd done it was quite innovative um and i think that was really important so you know Arranging home visits before children start, get really getting to know what they like and dislike, um, what their interests are. I think a key, um, and I think for this group of children um, yeah. during this period, I think that's going to be really, really important to get to know them, and and in order to be able to deliver a more child centred curriculum that focuses on their 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 interests,
0: individual, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> needs.
1: I think it's particularly pertinent isn't it Sophie to children who are going to be transitioning this year from primary to high school because that is going to be such a shock to the system but I think there's a a broader issue here for me I think in terms of you know what can leaders in mainstream schools do and it kind of comes on the back of sort of neurodiversity celebration week which happened last week we've got to wake up to the fact haven't we that one in five learners are neurodiverse one in five have the children in our schools have either dyslexia, dyspraxia, dyscalculia, dysgraphia, ADHD, autism spectrum. You know, if one fifth of, you know, human beings are neurodiverse, then they can't all be errors of genetics or disorder. There is an evolutionary purpose why a fifth of, of the human race has these different types of minds. But within our traditional educational paradigm, those children have often underachieved they make up for seven out of ten exclusions in mainstream schools they're often viewed by you know many mainstream teachers as well they the responsibility of the senco um, we often assume those children are going to be in the bottom sets or of low ability and i think we need to move away from this idea and we're hearing it from children more and more who are saying stop Telling me I'm low ability. Stop telling me that what, about what I can't do and what I'm not good at. And let's move away from this really outdated concept of intelligence and ability um, that I think has pervaded our education system. That, you know, if you're not an A grade student across the system, you're not gifted. Or if you're really gifted at a few subjects but not very good at others, that doesn't mean that we classify somebody as low ability and one of the things annie was talking about was flexibility of movement within key stages which i thought was you know uh uh, because she actually does that now
2: yes she Um, she groups them by readiness to to learn i think yeah
1: and then you know i was um one of our young ambassadors Sienna Castellon, who founded neurodiversity celebration week addressed um the All party parliamentary group last month and she was saying that you know she has autism adhd and dyslexia her written english is obviously not fantastic she has to use assistive technology um, there were other subjects that she struggled with in school but she excelled in the sciences and in maths but she found that the school were often more focusing on the things that she couldn't do because yeah. of her autism adhd and dyslexia now they refused to enter her for her A-levels, but she came out with three A-stars in A-level maths, pure maths and physics and has won a place to Harvard it's, it's another example isn't it of yeah. you know um another one of our young ambassadors i know who you know Claire Marcus who was excluded yeah. from eight who was excluded from school at 8 years of age he was a looked after child as well as having autism and ADHD and had formed an attachment to his form tutor in in year sort of uh five and then they changed his form tutor in year six and he couldn't quite deal with it and he couldn't understand why and they weren't able to explain to him why in a way that he understood so his response to that was to hack into the school server and change the password and refuse to tell them what the password was until he could have his other teacher back and to marcus this seemed perfectly reasonable and fair um marcus of course was excluded from that school within two years had achieved one of the top 10 highest SAT scores in the whole of the UK. So, you know, I think we've got to sort of look at our, our whole approach within mainstream education and particularly within teacher training and say to ourselves, we've got to move away from this idea, haven't we, that, you know, all children yeah or or all yeah all children who are neurodivergent are are somehow less than or that we focus on on the things that they can't do or we or we you know abdicate responsibility for adapting our teaching and learning or the culture within our school yeah. yeah um in order for you know um, for, to say, well, this is all the responsibility of the special educational needs coordinator. We cannot continue to write off 20% of our children. And the irony of all of this, and I keep saying it, is that Microsoft, Google, Apple, the big tech companies, the bioscience companies, the engineering companies, and now even GCHQ and MI6 have announced that they've been actively recruiting neurodiverse members of staff because they recognize they have a different type of intelligence that is much needed and I think often and particularly within school staff rooms and in school leadership teams we want people around the table who are of like mind, who think the way we do, who agree with us but the problem with that paradigm is that if we only have people around us who agree with us all the time then nothing ever changes the system only ever works for those of that particular mind you know. and I think we've got to start looking at intelligence and ability and employability and our educational paradigm in a 25 first-century context and start recognising that we are disabling 20% of children Um, and and that we also need to recognise that, you know, effective and successful learning is not just about high-quality teaching, it is about the culture of the school, the pastoral nature of the school, how we value talent, ability, efforts and citizenship because at the end of the day, however important academic qualifications are, We also know that character, teamwork, communication yeah, skills all, those things, all yeah. of those things yeah, are, yeah. yeah making rounded, in helping ch- yeah in yeah. helping children prepare for adult life
2: yeah absolutely uh, for yeah. me the, the key word that you use there and, and anya um referenced in when she was speaking was flexibility of approach yeah um, and i think that's something that our schools are really good at is being really flexible and and altering the curriculum and and the offer and bespoking timetables etc to really meet the individual needs um of, of all the pupils and i think that's yeah. something that um, is is really important. Creating different pathways yeah. within
1: so the sure, yeah, yeah, sure. Sean. Fe- I mean, Sean Fenton, uh, who's the head teacher of Rygate Grammar, which is the most successful uh, selective grammar school in the country, but he takes the national average quota of neurodiverse learners every year mm. as a principal, um, and he yeah. was saying we build the school around the children. We don't build the, the children around the school. Um, and that really resonated for me. And, and another yeah. thing he said that really resonated for me, and Anu repeated this as well, is, you know, this idea that children aren't interested in what you know unless they know that you care. And we have to try and convey to children in schools, you know, that, that, that they are valued, that we do care, that we do recognize their abilities and intelligence, that they are not, you know, um,
2: but listening to them
1: yeah of course I,
2: I think is you know critical um letting them have their voice and and input and input into their own targets etc cetera, etc cetera, but also into the the school and and the curriculum
0: and letting them know it's okay that's it it's okay to not you know be good at sort of everything well, look who at
1: time saying no and the thing is there are so many neurodivergent teachers i can't tell you how many teachers i've met who are on the autism spectrum or have adhd or dyslexia or dyspraxia but we don't see i mean you know i often have these interesting conversations in staff rooms they say well we you know no they're not going. they are you don't see them because you do not associate academic success with people who you call special educational needs and i'm actually really beginning to become more and more uncomfortable with this term special educational needs because I think it connotes so many negative things now and for children who just do not want to be defined that way because for them yeah
0: the label yeah I mean there's some it's some great discussion there and some great ideas for people to consider as well um, and when looking at that so We'll, we'll move on swiftly to our to our next question now. So um, there are many new realities of school life for staff and pupils and you know some may see the many positive opportunities for progression and development. but there may be some who are you know quite happy with what's been before and perhaps think a little bit negatively about these new approaches. Um, So, you know, how can leaders support their staff in making this transition, you know, so that everybody's on the same page, everyone believes in it, and really getting them to engage with these new ways of of, of the way things are going to work, really.
2: I, I know we found in our schools, you know, everybody um, across the country has has reacted, has had different feelings at different times, and that, yeah. that's understandable. I think, yeah. for me, the key and the most successful has been, you know, as always, is communication, talking to the staff, involving your staff in
1: the, the, decisions.
2: the decisions, the curriculum planning, et cetera, et cetera. And I think the most important thing... Um, for me is empowering we talked about leaders being brave and courageous yeah empower- so leaders then empowering their teachers to take risks and try different yeah. things out um, um yeah be creative um and not feel confined by the national curriculum and and yeah going a different route and seeing if that works
1: I mean, for me, some of the, some of the conversations I've been having recently is, is we know that a lot of teachers are anticipating a significant escalation in the number of children who have experienced mental distress, bereavement. Yeah. And we all know, don't we, because that, that when children are unhappy, anxious, don't feel safe, they don't have the self-awareness or the language skills to communicate that effectively. Um, They will become avoidant of work. They will be late. They will be absent because they don't feel well. They will find all kinds of different things to avoid this learner anxiety. And I do wonder sometimes with the enormous pressure that's been placed on teachers in recent years, that that performance anxiety, that, you know, we must get better exam results or else, that it's become too much about overall school performance in exams to the extent where I think somewhere in all of that we've lost sight of the children it's become about the end goal rather than about the process um, we have over 20 percent of our school-age population who meet the diagnostic criteria for anxiety disorder and um, we know that this pandemic uh, has, has increased the number of children who are self-harming um how can we teach children effectively if we're not addressing some of the more fundamental needs and I think that calls for again I think a culture within a school that understands the you know the the, the dynamic relationship of teaching and learning um that we kind of have a conversation as well about, you know, this this term behavior. You know, a lot of teachers think, well, you know, behavior management is the holy grail of a successful teacher. On the contrary, outstanding teaching is the holy grail because when the teaching is outstanding and child centered and personalized children behave in a way that is context appropriate for the classroom. We've got to get back to the fundamentals and again this I come back to this idea of teacher training we need a rank and file review of this because I am talking to PGCE students who are failing their NQT year and they're constantly saying to me my teacher training did not prepare me to work with children it taught me how to deliver the national curriculum it taught me what the Ofsted framework was, was and I got two days If I was lucky on developmental psychology, child and adolescent mental health, special educational needs, you know, how can anybody be prepared for a career working with children when you only are given two days training to work with children and you have to get three years apprenticeship to become a plumber? So we need to look at how we're helping young graduates who want to join the teaching profession
2: well, teaches it tra-
1: it tra- it for the 21st century. Yeah,
2: you know? it, it tracks back. My daughter's currently doing a, um, a BTEC qualification, wanting to go into becoming a, a, a special needs teacher. And um, she's been told she's only allowed to do half of one of her placements in a special school um, because she needs to be working with, quote, normal children. Um, oh, my God. Which, uh, you know, for somebody that's clearly got a, um, a clear goal in sight, that just seems
1: sad yeah yeah i I mean i i really hope i really do hope and anja and i were talking about this that there is now uh, i think some courageous thinking and i i personally have 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 written to the secretary of state for education um and the school's minister um and and to uh, amanda spielman who i've got enormous respect for at ofsted um asking, can we use this opportunity to really think again? Because again, let's be realistic in terms of, we know that examination results over the next couple of years are going to be significantly impacted by what's happened over the past 12 months and you know we're going to be I think another year before before we're really on top of this situation there are a lot of children who've missed a lot of education but catching up isn't just content is it and we have got to think about what other opportunities there are for learning and let's look at other ways that we can assess and measure progress But it's not just about how much knowledge you can remember. I mean, some children have gone backwards. And I, you know, we've continued to provide a service in schools throughout. Um, But what we've recognised is that some of the more fundamental needs really need to be addressed here. And, And I think that for school leaders we've got a fantastic opportunity here to be having some very courageous conversations about how we move forward and we are talking about communities school communities teachers have been through incredible pressure over the past year um like they didn't need any more um we have to think about what a community of well-being and successful learning looks like. Looks like and, and this yeah. is, a, again, any school leadership team for me needs to be having those conversations. How do we support our colleagues? You know, what about actually all the neurodivergent colleagues we work with who don't have a diagnosis? You know, yeah. um, how do we really involve children in what our school community does? Does and achieves and what it is about peer education is a major resource that is untapped here um i think you know i've seen some incredible things uh, going on in schools um, over the past 12 months and in the specialist hubs that have stayed open you know let's 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 listen to that let's let's explore those different ways of working and see how it can inform best practice for everybody's benefits and actually also for parents as well you know we yes. need to be offering parents more around the school support training helping helping parents to be more involved in their children's education to understand a little bit more about what is involved it does take a village um it isn't the teacher's responsibility to be everything to that child yeah um but i think we do need to start working much much more collaboratively with parents um in order to be able to support that child
0: yeah I mean, uh, you know, it's a a tricky one to approach that. And hopefully, as anyone who's in that situation will be able to, you know, take something away from the discussions that we're we're having today. So um, I'll go on to our next question now. And we we may have touched on a few things already. um, But in, in secondary settings, there are some, you know, clear alternative opportunities for pupil success, particularly surrounding careers, So when we look at sort of primary age pupils, what are the chances and opportunities for learning and achievement should or could senior leaders um, be looking to offer? Um, So
2: there's a few that have come as examples that I've come across over the last year in in some of the schools that I I work with that um, have jumped out at me. Um, So one of them was where schools were sending home kind of technology packs for home, home learning activities. So it wasn't all screen based. And those yeah. were enabling the, the families, the parents, to get involved in learning activities with their children. And they were really, really successful. Um, another um, one was the innovative use of technology. I think whilst it's had its drawbacks, yeah. um, I think actually there's, there's been lots of positives as well. And it's finding no, a balance between the see. two. Yeah. Um, and some of those platforms. One of my schools um, introduced um, uh, a particular um, piece of technology where they're uploading photos um, throughout the day of their ch- child's learning, and I've come across it yeah. previously in other schools. But it really, really has worked well, and has got that conversation, that dialogue between the parents and the school and the child on a you know, it's it's increased enormously.
0: Um, I mean, that makes just such a difference, anyway, doesn't it? Because Trying to get information out of kids when they come out of school. Exactly. Like, what do you do today and all this sort of thing. But if you already know, you're ready to start the discussion and the conversation, aren't you, then, when, yes. you get, when they get home?
2: Yeah. So I think that, I mean that's definitely something that they're going to be continuing. That's been a huge success yeah. for them. And then one of the other ones was uh, probably early on in lockdown one was when um, we were first um, experimenting, really, with uh, quickly rolling yeah. out some um, online technology, was for some of our pupils enabling them to manage their own learning at the time that suited them best not all of our particularly teenagers you know we know are are not morning people are they um and some of them were learning later later at night and that was work and they were actually doing more work than we'd known them do before Um, and how we continue that on a long-term basis would need more thought and and planning and whatever Mm -hmm. I think there's something to take there about you can talk, going back to yeah and going back to the child-centered learning and listening to the children about what actually suits them learning style wise
1: I, I mean i agree sophie i think again one of the things that that we've seen a, mo- a greater willingness for the use of assistive technology in learning mm. and um I was having a conversation recently with, with a, a school who'd been taken to tribunal and and, and lost the tribunal, and it was a, about the Equalities Act, and one of the issues was, you know, they were keeping children with dyslexia in through lunch to finish work because their handwriting was slow and the school didn't realise that actually that was – they were breaking the law um, – and and why can't I mean, you know, we live in an information technology age now. And and for a dinosaur like me, um, I'm not quite a Luddite, but, you know, I can remember the days of dial up computers and thinking, oh, God, today was a busy day because I got 10 emails, whereas I get 300 now. Yeah. Children, children live in an information technology age. Um you know, why can't we make better use of technology in in, in schools? Um, you know, one of the things that we're seeing happen a lot now is the use of um, cognitive profiling. Um, and we use this a lot with... Um, the, the, the schools that we work in, where we're, we're doing a strength-based cognitive profile on each child. Not every child is absolutely brilliant at everything, but one of the great things about this is teachers are actually beginning to understand, okay, this child's got real good strengths in literacy, um, but cognitively with, with with numeracy, not so strong, and this is how we'll scaffold the learning for them in this particular area of their cognitive development, um, and actually also understanding that not every child develops at the same stage we need to kind of move away from this idea that you know by age seven every child 's got to be able to do this and yeah. but and it, and it you know the human brain doesn 't quite work like that every human brain is as unique as a fingerprint um assistive technology uh it just offers so much potential um you know for for children who learn in different ways and for children to really play to their strengths Um, so I agree with that I applaud the government for for the distribution of laptop computers and and, and additional tuition but I also think as well that um, I think some of the more therapeutic approaches to learning, theraplay um, and and some of the work that schools have been doing just around helping children to adapt to a world that is beyond their comprehension at the best of times. But in the past 12 yeah. months, yeah. You, know, yeah. um, you know, children are born with an innate instinct to feel safe around their primary caregiver. Mm-hmm. You know, even children of abusive and neglectful parents still run to those parents when they've fallen over and cut their knee. They're genetically programmed to do so and when children as we see with many teenagers come to the realization that grown-ups don't know everything they're not <laughs> always right <laughs> um, and and um you know and and when grown-ups tell us who we are or how we feel they don't necessarily understand us or get it right um you know it is this thing isn't it about a, a more a more child-centered uh, i think culture um but more embracing of new ideas, new ways of doing things. Um, you know, we all like the familiar, but we've all been thrown out of our comfort zone over the past 12 Absolutely. months. Yeah.
2: Um, yeah. You
1: know, let's, era, learning is a trial and error process for teachers, for leaders, as it is as much as it is for children. Um, I think, uh, I, I, you know, I would really like to see us understanding that, you know, in, in a, in a society where everything is instant from the coffee to to pressing a button on your phone to order an nice item of clothing, that, that learning is a process, that making mistakes is a valuable part of learning, that guessing it right first time is actually not what learning is about necessarily. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Uh, you know, I think, again, we, we've kind of... We've lost sight a little bit about what that process is and we've become so focused on how we measure it rather than everything that goes before it. And and, and what we do with that learning after it, you know, um, is as important for, for, for school staff and, you know, and for school well-being. You know, yeah. it's it's such a challenging job, um, and I say this having been married to a teacher for twenty five years. Um, you know uh, what teachers do. Um, you know, and 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 just managing the relationships with that many children every day is emotionally exhausting never mind intellectually exhausting Um, and I hope if we are going to look at school terms and lengthening school days that it is not just about catching up on lost curriculum content it is about all of those other learning needs and being much more creative about how we measure it other than just written evidence you know yeah. that paradigm belongs in the last century not in the 21st century that yeah. the children live in and are going to spend the rest of their lives in and we need to prepare them for that
2: and i think that's been one of the the, the particular challenges throughout this lockdown with exams etc because everything's become so focused on exams and and they've moved away from coursework when I did my GCSEs etc therefore it became so much more difficult to be able to to determine their grades for GCSEs and A-levels etc and actually yeah looking at different ways of measuring the progress like you say Tony that isn't just about written and exams etc I think um, is is something that needs serious consideration
1: and actually also how we moderate exams I mean I, I can't tell you the number of young people who've said to me well please explain to me what is intelligent or fair or about how each year only so many students are allowed to get this grade, no only so many students are allowed to get that grade, no matter what they did in the test? It is fundamentally an unjust... And actually, in the twenty first session century essentially a rather irrational approach to mm. why are we why are we deciding only so many children can be this good, and oh many only so many children can be that yeah. good? There is something fundamentally flawed about that paradigm um and young people are speaking out about it, and this is the thing that i'm finding really fascinating. They are saying you know. Play to my strengths, help me learn. Yeah, but but don't ask me to want to be supportive of something that I view as fundamentally unfair. And and I think again we come back to values, don't we? What is education for? Um, and when I was at school, the most important thing about school was the time I spent with my friends because particularly teenagers as you were saying so it's such an important transition you're becoming an adult um you're establishing an identity a conscience values um you we are social beings we do not thrive in isolation we die in isolation um and and without that understanding of ourselves as learners in the context of a community whether that's the community of the classroom the community of the playground the f- you know the community of our family all these different social groups that we belong to it is understanding our sense of belonging and also the kind of values behaviors you know um that we value as a society. You know, the word kindness is being used a lot, isn't it, over over the past 12 months. Um, It's a very small word, but it's a very powerful word. And young people are using it a lot. It's it's something that is being, I think, esteemed in a way that it hasn't done before. Um, You know, for, for young people who are talking about their careers and their futures and 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 they are saying, well it you know I'm conscious that it has to protect the environment I'm concerned about you know global warming i'm concerned about racial equality I'm concerned about lgbtq inclusion i'm concerned about neurodiversity and 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 all of these other things. The learning drives who we are as people and our communities and and it's yeah. what you know what gives us a sense of purpose as active citizens as well. Um, I think young people are, are, are going to need to be given a far greater voice in what happens. I think I'm on a bit of a, I, I'm clearly on a, on a bit of a roll with this, aren't I? But I, I just, for me, it is, is I'm I've listened so much to what young people have been saying over the past yeah. few months and I just hope that they, you know, that, that we have more opportunity to create forums within our schools to actually listen to what the school community, the teachers, the playground staff, the the canteen staff, the supervisors, that, you know, the admin staff and the children, what kind of community do we want to belong to and what kind of community is going to enable us all?
0: Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, it, it, again, it's just been some, some great discussion today. And I've got one last question on my list. I wonder if I can just squeeze it, squeeze it in before we, we close. Um, so, you know, and I think it's probably already been covered, so it's it's probably only going to be a short one. But hopefully there will be many positive steps forward taken over the coming year. But if there was just one thing that you could highlight to be taken forward across schools um, to better support children and young people's development, what would it be? Just one thing.
2: So just one thing for me yeah. is to grasp this as an opportunity to... Yeah. To pause, take stock, and work out what's really right for our young people's education, um, involve and involving them, listening to them. And don't like just keep just continuing
0: said. on the same. Just because just we've just always stopped. done it that way, yeah. Collaborate, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: I, I, I've got nothing to add to that, Sophie. I think that sums <laughs> it up absolutely perfectly, doesn't it? Yeah. I think this, you know, pause, stop, think. What do we need? Yeah. What, yeah. And we, as a collective.
0: Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's a good way to finish, Tony. I like that. I really do. Um, right. Well, that brings us to the end of today's podcast. I'd like to say thank a massive thank you to Sophie and Tony for your time today and um, to all our listeners for joining us as well. Um, if you are listening to this, you're probably already signed up to the Support Leaders in Education series, which is all about providing advice and support for head teachers, senior leadership team members and teachers in leadership roles. Um, But um, if you're not signed up, you can visit our website, which is www.withslackgroup.co.uk forward slash resources. And you'll be able to register there and receive details about all future topics. So thank you once again to our speakers, our listeners, and I hope you can join us on another podcast in the future. Bye.